Good morning. In reverence for the reading of God's word. And 8 through 13, it can be found on page 492 in your pew Bibles. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness... and yearning to hear your word according to your commands and the will that you have for us. 
that was around them. And likewise today, we also wait. for the first time, or maybe getting that promotion that you've always longed for at work, that greatest good emotion will pale in comparison to what we will experience when we are finally reunited with our Savior. And on that day, suddenly our worst experiences will disappear. They will be forgotten. There will be no more tears no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain. We will finally be at perfect peace with our God. And we will be eternally with all of his people. This is our hope. The hope that we live by yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Do you believe it? Yes. As Christians, we believe this. This is what we believe. And so for many Christians, the hard part of Advent is not believing that Jesus came 2,000 years ago. It's not believing that he will one day return again. But the hard part is allowing this good news to shape and form us as we wait for our Messiah to return one day. I'm getting a signal. wear this for the gym and the live stream. I feel a little more important wearing this. This feels more official here. So returning to the message, you know, I was saying how for many of us Christians that do in fact believe that Jesus was born, that he, was, that he will return again. That's not the hard part for us during Advent. The hard part is the waiting. The waiting for Jesus and, and living for him and living according to the way that he desires us to live as we wait for him to return one day. The difficulty comes in allowing this knowledge and the belief that we have to shape our reality every single day. Especially when the rest of the world keeps driving us to live the opposite way. As Christians, we are called not to love this world. We are called not to treasure its possessions because we know that the world is fleeting 
and that our possessions will disappear as soon as we depart this world. We are called to live each day in the strength and the guidance of the Lord and to live for His purpose and to live for His will. We are called to be generous and charitable, to be hospitable and to be selfless. We are called to love our God with all of our heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are called to love and to live out God's justice, His righteousness, and His mercy. In other words, we have been called as Christians to live counter to this world. The world tells us that our heart's desire is to treasure up possessions, to put our heart and our treasure in the things that we have, to live every day for ourselves, for myself, rather than for others, and to give in to our sinful desires, to what I want. But we know, we know these things. We read the Bible. We know how God wants us to live as his people. We hear it every Sunday. But it's hard for us to live this way because of the weight. A lot of times we don't want to wait. We're spiritually impatient. I'm not sure if many of you know this or maybe you've never realized this, but did you know that one of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5 is patience. I think we always emphasize a lot the love and the kindness and the gentleness and all that stuff, but have you ever thought about how God also wants us to grow in our patience? It's also the first attribute that Paul names in a list of attributes in 1 Corinthians 13 when he talks about love. The first thing he says is love is patient. Think about that. One of the areas that the Holy Spirit continuously desires for us to grow in and is helping us grow in is Christian patience. So being a good Christian isn't just about smiling all the time and being kind and loving everyone, but it's also about being patient, being patient with those people around you, being patient in your circumstance, being patient in prayer. And as we read even in today's passage, it means being patient with God. The issue that Peter is addressing in his letter today was that there are many false prophets and many false teachers and so-called Christians that were not living according to the way that God had commanded them to live. They were living immorally. They were living corrupt lives. They were, and then, on top of that, they were telling others, other Christians, to live that way too. They were telling them, oh, well, you know, God isn't coming He's, he, you know, where is he? It's been so long. Just live the way that you want. And then there were the scoffers that justified their sinful living by saying that those who wait patiently for the Lord's return are foolish. Preceding our reading today in verse 4 of chapter 3, Peter, he says, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. This is their justification. This is what they say. Well, we can just live however we want because, look, the Lord's not coming. We've waited all this time. Where is he? 
And isn't this a mirror reflection of our world today? When something bad happens, people ask, well, where is your God now? Where was he when this happened? Where, where was he in this circumstance? When will he come? And a lot of times as Christians, I think we ask the same thing. God, when will you come? God, when will you end my suffering or this pain? Or when will you take me out of this circumstance? And many times the outside world looks in on us and they mock us for our beliefs. And they consider us foolish. Because as we wait, we are living selflessly. Because as we wait, we are not living according to our own sinful desires, but we are living for our God. But unfortunately, sometimes we allow the lies of the world to creep into our own minds and in our own hearts. We believe that as we wait, sometimes maybe we're more important than God. And my plan is better than God's. Sometimes we believe that our desires are greater than God's desires. And as we wait, and we think, well, he's not coming. You know, the preacher said on Sunday that he might come any day, but, you know, it's been three, four days, and he hasn't come. <laughs> and it becomes easier and easier for us to start sinning and justify our sins, to start living in a way that does not please God, to start bending morality. Because after all, Jesus hasn't come. And, and didn't he say when he was here to be ready? And that was over 2,000 years ago. Doesn't seem like he'll come anytime soon. And the longer we live on this earth, the older we get, the more it seems like we are influenced by this way of thinking, the way of the world the more we build up our own kingdom and our own empire, forgetting that our citizenship is really in heaven. And to this, Peter reminds us today, he exhorts us in verses 8 and 9, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I'm adding this, so this isn't going to be on Spiffio. I'm sorry for those who are listening to this translation. Uh, my, our family has recently been rereading the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, and we've also been re-watching the movies, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting because my son's reading the books, and as we watch the movies, he's like, oh, they skipped this part, and they skipped that part, oh, that was the best part, why did they put that in the movie, and I have to keep telling him, well, they can't put everything in the movie, that's why you gotta read the book, the books have more detail in them. But in the, the Chronicles of Narnia, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Lucy, one of the main characters, she falls into this wardrobe and she falls into Narnia. And she spends the entire day with Mr. Tumnus. And she hears about Narnia and all the different things and she sees talking animals and it's, it's great. But then it's time for her to go back home. And so she makes her way back to the wardrobe and she pops out back into her, her world where her siblings, her brothers and sisters, are playing hide and seek. 
And she comes out and she says, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Don't worry. And, they're, and, and the, her siblings are like, what are you talking about? You just messed up the whole game. Why did you come out? The point of hide and seek is for you to go and hide. And she said, weren't you worried about me? I've been gone for such a long time. And, and they're baffled because they don't know what she's talking about. Because the time in Narnia passes differently than the time in their world. This is what Peter is saying. To the Lord, time is different. He's outside of time. To the Lord, a, a thousand days can be, a thousand years can be like a day, and a day can be like a thousand years. And the point that Peter is making here is that the Lord is not slow in fulfilling the promise that he made to us, the promise that he will return. He will come again in his time. When the world laughs at us, he has not forgotten us. When the troubles come our way, he is not ignoring us. In fact, as we wait for the Lord's return, Peter says that we are actually being benefited. God is actually being merciful to us, whom he has chosen to eternal life. In context, Peter, he's addressing those in the church that claim to know God, those who are following Jesus Christ. But maybe some of them have forgotten, as we often do, that the Lord will return. Maybe some have started living wayward lives. Maybe they're not living according to their faith and the knowledge that they have of the Lord and his coming to those who he has chosen. God is leading them to repentance. He is leading us to put our hope back into him and to live each day with eager readiness for his return. He is producing godly patience in us. I found that a recurring theme in my own life has been for God to lead me through different circumstances and different life circumstances, life experiences. And he always seems to do it for me the long way, the difficult way. I have to always take the hard road. Many times I found myself asking myself, God, why me? Why is this happening to me? You know, look at everyone else. They get it easy. Why, why are you making me go through all of this? You know, ever since I became an adult, Almost nothing, maybe nothing at all, has ever gone according to my plan or how I thought it would go. Literally, when I turned 18, right out of high school, I thought I was going to go to some kind of college in California or somewhere nearby. But God had other plans, and he sent me to South Korea. That was definitely not my plan. I could go on and on about the different times when God redirected my life and he redirected my plan to align with his plan and to his timing. But at each point, God, he was teaching me through waiting, through being patient, through seeing the goal sometimes, but not being able to get there as fast as I wanted to. Through it all, God was teaching me to depend more on him. He was helping me to grow in my faith. He was teaching me patience. He was teaching me to hope in him alone. He was teaching me to persevere through him. We all know King David. 
the mightiest king in Israel. But before King David was the mighty king of a mighty nation, he was just a shepherd boy. He faithfully tended to the flock of his family every day, year after year. That was his job, to look after the sheep. And he loved the Lord. And I don't think David ever expected to be the king. You know, if we look at his writings, his psalms, right, the songs that he wrote, he just loved the Lord. And, and he was faithful at what he did in being a shepherd boy. Yet one day, he was anointed the next king of Israel by the prophet Samuel. God chose him to be the next king in Israel. But it didn't happen right away. After Samuel anointed him, do you know what David did? He didn't barge into Saul's kingdom and his throne and say, you know, that, that, you know that's mine. I'm the king now. You know, he was maybe 15 years old. After he was anointed king by Samuel, he went back to being a shepherd boy, to faithfully doing what the Lord had for him in his life. And after that, he played the lyre, the harp. He played it for King Saul. Imagine how David felt, knowing that he was the next anointed king, the rightful king of God's people, and being in the kingdom of Saul, but not being on the throne, but simply being a musician playing the harp. And he did this for years and years. But he was faithful. And God was teaching him patience. And then after that, he defeated the great Goliath. And he was hailed as a hero of Israel. But God didn't put him on the throne even then. He became one of, one of, not the, but one of Saul's army commanders. And then, when it seemed like his status was being elevated and things started going his way and oh, I can see, okay, now God's going to put me on the throne. Saul tried to kill him and he found himself running for his life, literally running away from the king who was trying to kill him. And some scholars say that the time between David's anointing and the time that he actually became the king of Israel was somewhere about 14 or 15 years. I think a lot of times we don't want to wait 14 or 15 seconds at the microwave, right? We're at the microwave like, you know, come on, hurry up. You know, I want my food. David waited 15 years. Knowing the promise, seeing the goal, seeing the reality, yet not being able to see it fulfilled for many, many years. But David stayed faithful to God. And he was ready when God put him on that throne. Peter reminds us that God will never break his promise. The question is not, will, ev will God ever come? Will Christ ever return? But the question is, when God comes, how will he find me? Will I be found faithful like the servants with the five and the two talents when the master returned? Peter exhorts us to be ones that are found ready when Christ returns in verses 11, 12, and 14. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot 
or blemish and at peace. We are to be found by God when Christ returns in holiness. Answer. Peter says in verse 12 that we must wait and hasten the coming of the day of God. I'm sure as Karen was reading the scripture for us and you came to that verse in verse 12, waiting and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, you thought, I wonder what that means. Waiting, I understand, but hastening the day of the Lord? This is the other part of how we are to be found when Christ comes and it answers how we will live in holiness and godliness as we wait. The two words that are used here in Greek are prostakontas, which means to expect, to anticipate, to watch, to look for. That's the word that's used for waiting. And the word that's used for hastening is spudantas which means to desire earnestly, right? Hastening, to desire earnestly or to await eagerly. And so we are not simply to wait for Christ's return by filling up our lives with busyness and living the, wor- the way the world and, and, ju- and, then, and then just trying to be good people while we're at it. But we are to await Christ's return with eagerness, with desire, with anticipation. Do you remember the feeling of the first night long ago for some of you, longer for some of you? <laughs> the feeling of that, that, that the night before the first day of school, right? I remember, you know, for me, I remember third grade. I don't know why it's third grade, but I remember the, the night before third grade, the first day, I just, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't wait to see my friends again. You know, back then there wasn't all this social media and all the stuff like that, right? So, like, I, pro- I hadn't seen my friends in three months, you know, like, the, the, the wait, the anticipation of waking up the next morning and going to school. Or maybe... For you, it was the anticipation of that Christmas. Maybe it was some Christmas where you couldn't wait for it to become Christmas. And see your family open up those presents. Do you remember the feeling that you had on your first crush? And that feeling of not knowing whether they liked you back or not? Or waiting to receive that letter of acceptance, whether it be to a college or a job that you applied to? Do you remember the feeling that you had on your wedding day or the first time you kissed your newborn child or the first day at your new job or when you moved to that new city or the day that the new iPhone finally came out? It's that feeling of anticipation and eagerness, and readiness, but also nervousness, and hope, and joy, and wonder, and all these things that are bundled up into this great emotion. And Peter says that that is how we are supposed to wait for Christ. 
Because when you wait for the Lord in this way, then everything revolves around Him. You don't forget that He's not coming. When you wait for Him this way, you wake up in the morning and He's the first thing that you think of. When you wait for the Lord in this way, every passing thought revolves around Him. In your free time, you desire to know more about Him. Because, of course, every good thing, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Everything He has given to us. But what I mean is, when we wait for the Lord in this way, as Paul, as Peter, I'm sorry, he exhorts us to do, then everything that we do in our lives points to Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, in this season of Advent, as we reflect upon what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago, let us also be ready with eager anticipation, awaiting the coming of our Lord. Let us earnestly seek to grow in our patience for the Lord. Let our hearts be ruled by the Holy Spirit who will teach us to live according to God's word. And let us eagerly await and desire the Lord's return. And brothers and sisters, let us not fall into the trap of the world who says, the Lord will never come. Live however you want. But let us live our lives to reflect what we believe, not in fear, but let us live every day with hope and joy, knowing that one day Christ will return. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the promise that you've given to us, the promise that you will come back one day for us, and it is with this promise that we live each day with hope and eager anticipation. We pray, Lord, that, Lord, whenever we forget, when we start letting our ways rule our lives, when we start trying to build up our own kingdom in our lives, we pray that your Holy Spirit will prompt us and remind us that you will return and you will come again one day. We pray, Lord, that we will live Lord, as Peter exhorts us to, to live in holiness and godliness, that we may be ready when you come. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.